This morning's reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, lines 5 through 15. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. In whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it, and if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Bob. Lord Jesus, these are your words, and we would ask you to let them have an effect in our hearts. Let your will be done in our lives, and Lord, let your kingdom come to our hearts and minds. And I ask you, Lord, to move us in the alignment, a greater alignment with your kingdom and the purposes and principles of your kingdom. We have come to listen to your word, and Lord, I pray that your word would change us. Let your word be clear. Help the one preaching it. Give ears to those of us to hear what you would say to us today. And let no other voice be heard, Lord Jesus, than yours. In Christ's name, amen. I hope you will <clears throat> hold open your copy of Scripture with me today in Matthew chapter 10. Uh, we are looking at this first paragraph uh, that we have found Jesus in the second discourse uh, of the, the five that sort of shaped this gospel. And we're beginning to think about uh, Jesus' commissioning of the 12 disciples whom he called apostles as he sent them out. And uh, we're thinking primarily about the kingdom of heaven. Now, the kingdom of heaven has been a theme that has been present from the very beginning of, of Matthew's gospel, and it continues to be present. Um, but we see Jesus is commissioning these 12 as he begins um, to send them out on a, a mission. So it's, it is a commission that is, is moved by compassion. So the last paragraph in chapter 9, we saw Jesus look out at the crowds and his heart was moved, moved with compassion, and he responded by sending uh, these disciples, these 12, out. And I, I just wonder, who's, who do you look at in your life that your heart is moved with compassion? Who needs the kingdom of God in such a way that when you look at them, your heart is compelled with compassion to enter into their lives? Who, who do you yearn 
would truly know that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Does somebody come to mind? Maybe they do. And I want to invite you, begin to pray, even as we move through this text. Pray for them. Pray that God would change hearts, because He does. When the kingdom comes in someone's life and heart, their hearts are changed. Lives are transformed. And I know many of us, if you look at yourself, you probably have things about you you wish you could change. Anybody in the room has that kind of desire? Um, And I'm sure if you think about others, there's a big long list of things you wish you could change in other people's lives and hearts. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, I I want to encourage those of you who despair that no change is going to happen, to not give up hoping and believing in the Lord Jesus. Because we had a Thanksgiving Eve service in this room the other night, and in it, we heard some stories of transformations of lives where people had been changed. And I want to encourage you, keep giving thanks to the Lord. He's real. Jesus is alive. You just heard his words. Uh, This is not a routine. We're not merely going through the motions. The kingdom of heaven is real. Jesus is alive. And hearts do change when the Spirit of God is present. So don't stop praying for those who need the kingdom of heaven. And don't stop praying for the kingdom of heaven to come, both in your life and my life, and those who you know need the kingdom of heaven. Don't stop believing that Jesus changes people's lives and hearts, because he looked out at the crowds of people and he had compassion with them. And if you remember, when we looked at that word, he was, his heart was moved deep within him. In his bowels is literally what it says. He was moved within him. And so this, this commission that Jesus sent these disciples on is moved and motivated out of compassion. So have compassion for the people around you. Now, we we started looking at this first paragraph last week, but we did not get to finish. We addressed a couple of issues, but we didn't get to finish our way through this. And and we're, if you're curious, we're taking this paragraph by paragraph. And so if you're wondering where are we going next week, well, it's the next paragraph. So read this one one more time this week and keep reading the next paragraph every day next week, and you'll be ready for whatever the Lord wants to say, because sometimes we need to read again and again and again to hear what the Lord would say. So this, let me me just summarize by way of introduction where we were and where we're headed, because this commission, last week we saw there are aspects which are temporary, and, and then there are some that are permanent. There are Parts of this we, we, we don't need today. We shouldn't listen to today, um, which we talked about last week. When we look at the context of the passage, the context of the book, and the context of where this falls in redemptive history, there are some of these things that don't abide, but there are some that do. That's the crucial question. What abides from this paragraph? What remains of the kingdom of heaven and what doesn't? And that's where we're going. There are essentially four aspects of what Jesus commissions these disciples on. And he, he essentially sends them out on a short-term mission trip. So if you've ever wanted to go on a short-term mission trip, here's one in the Bible where we see Jesus sending his disciples out on a short-term mission trip. There are four aspects of it. He tells them, go local. He tells them, go light. 
He sends them to, to go preach a message, and he also sends them to go perform miracles. That's the four aspects. Go local, go light, go preaching a message and performing miracles. And so verses 5 and 6 is the go local part. That's, this is what we covered last week. But let me just read it again and remind you uh, of why Jesus did what he did. So uh, verses 5 and 6. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, you remember, the Messiah has come to fulfill God's promises to Israel. So he, he, he begins by taking the gospel of the kingdom to Israel and Israel alone. He starts there, but we saw last week, he's not limited now in where we stand in redemptive history to the Gentiles. God has included the Gentiles. And so the geographic region, which Matthew always alerts you as to where this is happening in the world, and we're talking about the area surrounding the Sea of Galilee. So it's in northern Galilee. And he, he's saying, go around the areas of, the, of the, the shore of the Sea of Galilee. All of the Gentile areas surround that area except to the south where Samaria is located. And so Jesus is saying, don't go beyond the locality of the Sea of Galilee. So go local, stay local. And we saw also that last week when we look at the context of this book... The Gentiles are no longer excluded. And we jumped to the end of the book. And I also showed you that Gentiles were actually included from the very beginning of God's promise. Go back to Genesis chapter 12. When God gives his promise to Abraham, he says, In you, in your descendants, in, in the Jews, all nations will be blessed. So from the beginning, Gentiles were included. And then I showed you a couple of examples, even from Jesus' genealogy, where Gentiles are included. And I highlighted Rahab and Ruth. And I also said that um, Bathsheba, the Hittite, was also included. Because she was a Gentile. Hittites are Gentiles. And some careful listeners were um, gracious enough to come to me after the service and say, um, you're wrong about that. Bathsheba is, was not a Gentile. She was actually an Israelite. And that rung a bell in my mind. I think you're right. So I did some homework. I went back. Um, they're correct. Bathsheba is not a Gentile. I stand corrected. She is actually the daughter of Amiel, who is also called Eliam, who was one of David's mighty warriors, one of the 30 mighty warriors. He was also a son of Ahithophel, who's David's counselor. Okay, did you get that? So she was the daughter of, of the, one of the sons of David's counselors. They were from a town called Gilo in southern uh, Judea, in between Bethlehem and Hebron. So she is an Israelite through and through. I was wrong. So thank you for listening. Somebody's actually listening. And I do welcome, if Todd gets something wrong, please come to him in private like these brothers did and say, um, I think you're wrong because I've said things I did not intend to say. I've given examples of that, which is quite embarrassing, and I won't do it again. But I have sometimes said things that I don't actually mean to say. I meant to say that last week, but it was wrong. So I'm corrected. <laughs> so go local. Uh, that's, that's no longer true. We don't have to limit the gospel to going to Israel only. But this is what Jesus says, and we're asking, all right, Jesus, what, what else do we need to see? Second thing about this commission is go light. 
Go light, pack light. Look at 9 and 10. Jesus says to them, acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or staff, for the laborer deserves his wages. And we said last week, Jesus is saying, don't go home and pack an overnight bag. Don't go get an extra coat. Don't pack an extra tunic. Don't get an extra pair of sandals. The mission is urgent. You need to go. And you will be provided for on this journey. So you're going to go to the towns, look for whoever can house you, who's worthy, who can support you, who's financially able to put you up while you're in town and stay with them. And he's saying, go, pack light. This is an urgent mission. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. It's time to get to work. So go. And don't worry about your provisions because you'll be taken care of. So go and pack light. And next, in, in, in 7, verse 7, we see the third aspect of this commission, which is a, a sending out, go preach a message, is what he tells them to do. Look at verse 7 with me. And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the message. So he's telling them, go and preach, proclaim, Caruso, go proclaim the kingdom is at hand. I want you to go out and say this. The kingdom of heaven has come, or another way of saying this is, at hand means it's near. The kingdom of heaven is not far off. It has come near to you. And so say this as you go out. Now what's amazing is, this is exactly what Jesus preached. This is the same message which Jesus has been preaching from the beginning of his public ministry. So Matthew, jump back, Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus begins his ministry, after he came out of the wilderness, you remember he was 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. He endured everything that Satan could throw at him. He did well. He did not give in to sin. And when he finished and came out of the wilderness, then we are told in verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for what? The kingdom is at hand. So repent. Turn away from your sins because God is coming near. The kingdom of God is near. Let go of your sins. Get rid of them. Jesus begins his ministry by saying that. And we need to hear this every day of our lives. Every day. Do we not? Don't let sin creep into your life. Stop. Put it away. Jesus would say, cut it off. Get rid of the sin in your life. So repent, turn away, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let go of this in order to welcome this. Let go of sin so you can cling to Jesus, is what he is saying. So this is what Jesus is preaching. So he's effectively saying to the 12 disciples, go preach what I've been preaching. Go say the same things that I have been saying. And you remember... Matthew has said the authority with which Jesus preached was what people noticed. So Jesus is sharing now his authority to preach and teach with these 12 disciples. So go and say exactly to them what I have said. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the gospel, by the way. The gospel is sin does not have to have a dominion over you. Sin can be broken. Sin has been broken because of what Jesus has done. Yes, we are all sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We all deserve eternal separation from God. 
But thank God through Jesus who sacrificed himself, laid his life down to atone for our sins. The wall of separation which kept us from a holy God is removed. And you can go sit down and commune with the God of the universe. That's the gospel. Jesus died to bring us to God is what 1 Peter 3 says. He laid down his own death to bring us to God. So the gospel is that which kept you from God is now removed and you can. There is a way through Jesus and Jesus alone to enjoy communion with God the Father. Go preach this. So that's the authoritative message that Jesus has sent these 12 out to to preach. The kingdom of heaven has come. He's sharing his message with them. And he's saying, go say this in all of the village. That's the third aspect of this commission, is, is preaching this message. And then fourth, proclaiming miracles. I mean, performing miracles. We see this in verse 8. He says, not only do you go out preaching that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but go performing miracles. And he says in verse 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Again, this is exactly what Jesus has been doing. From the beginning, these miracles have marked the ministry of Jesus. I take you back to Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, where we just a minute ago. He went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. There it is, the kingdom has come. And what does the kingdom look like? When the kingdom comes, what happens? So he's preaching a message, and then he's healing every disease, at the end of verse 23, every affliction among the people. So his fame spread through all of Syria. They brought to him all the sick, all the afflicted, those with various disease and pains who were oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. The kingdom has come, and it has come with this kind of evidence. Healing, casting out of demons, and so on. All of these things are are manifested. We saw that again in chapter 8, verse 16. We saw it again at the end of chapter 9, in verse 35. Jesus again is saying, go and do this. And we see it again in the first verse of chapter 1. If you still have your copy of Scripture, look at at chapter or verse 1. He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. That's the first verse of this, of this chapter. That's the authority that Jesus is sharing. So he's given them authority to teach. He's now given them authority over sickness and demons, disease and demons. And Jesus is sharing his power and his authority with them. And he says, go. And he's essentially saying, go do miracles. What's the definition of a miracle? I heard a phrase the other day when the turkey came out of the oven. That is a miracle. That is beautiful. In fact, I even took a picture of it. Is that a miracle? Well, did everybody have a turkey in your oven or some other meat that you preferred to eat? Uh, It's not a miracle, right? Here's a definition of miracles. Miracles are less common works of God in which he arouses people's awe and wonder worship and he bears witness to himself. Miracles when God unusually steps into the world and demonstrates his power and authority. And Jesus is saying to these disciples, I want you to go preaching, go local, go light, go preaching, but also go working miracles. 
And so do this. Go in this authority that I have given and shared with you. So that's the four aspects of, of this commission that Jesus is sending them on. And my question, the question which screams at me, is what of those abide and what doesn't? What, what of these commands remain and what doesn't? Because I'm asking the question, why, why should any of you in this room care about this passage of Scripture? Why should we spend our time thinking about something that the disciples did a long time ago? How is that even relevant for us? What, if anything, should we expect as a result of these words in Scripture? And I think helping us to answer that question is to ask the question, do we see anything else like this in Scripture? Right? When you're sometimes confused about something in Scripture, look for where else does this appear to see if this brings clarity. And there is another commission at the end of Matthew. Right? We, we call it the Great Commission. Most of us can quote it in this room, but let's just read it one more time. Uh, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. If you have a physical copy, just go to the very last page of the book. And, and here it is. Jesus came and he said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is a mind-blowing statement. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. Same words. Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So here's some things that are similar. Go. That's similar. That is abiding. There is Jesus's authority abides this day. Not just something he possessed in the first century. It is something he possesses now and tenfold greater than what he possessed when he sent them out on this first mission. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth. Go to sleep tonight meditating on the truth of that passage. Secondly, go local. Uh, is this limited now? Is this mission limited to, the, to Jews only? No, it's not. That does not abide because what does Jesus say? Go global. All nations. Go to all nations. So that does not abide the command to Jews only. Jesus now changes and says go global. Uh, secondly, go light. Or third, go light, he said in the first commission. Second commission. Any restrictions on travel here? Take whatever you want. Whatever you need. There's nothing mentioned here. Doesn't abide. Fourth, the preaching of the message. Does that abide? Absolutely. He says, go teaching, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. So go preaching a message does abide for sure. And lastly, the question which screams to be answered is, well, what about the miracles, Jesus? What about the miraculous portion of that commission? Jesus says here, go and teach them everything that I have commanded you. Well, he commanded the 12 to go do miracles and the question I'm asking and wrestling with, should we still do this? Should we even expect this portion of the commission to continue? Is Matthew 10 in, in verses 7 and 8, is that something we should expect to see as present in, in the church today or not? And there would be many who would say, no, we should not expect Miracles in the church today. That was something that was unique to the messengers, the unique messengers, the apostles, or the close associates of the apostles of the first century. 
And, and that's not an abiding quality of the kingdom. And so that's my question. Are the miracles a quality of the kingdom of heaven? Or are they the exclusive characteristics of the particular messages, messengers that Jesus chose? That's, that's the question that cries out to be answered. Because if there are miracles that are attendant as a, as a quality of the kingdom, insofar as the kingdom is still present, wouldn't we expect miracles to still be happening? But if they were the unique characteristics of first century messengers, the apostles and their associates, then we would not particularly expect them to continue because none of those guys are around. And so it's a, it's a serious question because there are many who would say, um, uh, the command to proclaim the message abides, but the command to perform miracles does not. And so we need not expect them. And my prayer all of this week is, should I expect miracles, Lord? If this is, if this is limited to the apostles and the other guys they hung around with in the first century, I, I don't need to expect them. But if this is an abiding principle of the kingdom of heaven, I, I need to expect them. So two questions help us answer this, I believe. First, were miracles limited to the apostles and their close associates? And then second, did those miracles then abide or persist throughout the New Testament? So first question, were miracles limited to the apostles and their close associates? Um, so if the Lord Jesus shared this miraculous ministry only with the apostles, then we don't need to expect them today. Um, Paul, also, he's an apostle, so he will include the 12 apostles and Paul as, as that group of, of those that, uh, is that the only ones that Jesus shared this ministry with, or did he share it with others? And, and we'll look at the evidence and see the Bible shares, shows us Jesus did not limit his sharing of this miraculous ministry to only the apostles. For example, in Luke, Luke tells us the same passage that we're looking at. He gives us a parallel account in chapter 10. And he shares with us that not only did Jesus appoint 12 apostles, but he also appointed 72 others that he commissioned with the same message, telling them to go out and heal the sick. This is Luke chapter 10, if you want to look this up. And to cast out demons. Because they went out preaching the same message that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And they came back in verse 17. And they said this to Jesus. After going out and preaching, they came back and said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. This is not the 12 apostles. These are 72 other unnamed people who Jesus shared the same ministry with. So he's not limiting it to the apostles. So second... Um, Stephen also did the same kinds of miracles. Miracles in the Bible, these kinds of miracles we're talking about, casting out of demons and healing the sick, they're often called signs. They're called signs because they point to something greater than themselves. And we see Stephen in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. This is the same word for miracles. So he's, he's performing these kinds of miracles among the people. He's not an apostle. Peter, I mean, Stephen is one of the first, what we might call deacons. So he's not an apostle, and yet he's given this ability. Third, Philip, who is also one of the deacons and not an apostle, um, we discover this in Acts chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. 
The crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Again, what signs? For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out from many who had them, and many who were paralyzed and or lame were healed. So here's Philip doing the same things, the same kind of miraculous ministry that we see Jesus doing. Philip is, is doing also, and he's not an apostle. He's a deacon. He's just a, a lowly servant of the church. So Jesus did not limit his sharing of his authoritative, miraculous ministry to the apostles alone. We see there's at least 74 others. And we could go on and look at their points to others in the New Testament church who are even beyond this. So that's the first question. Did Jesus limit his sharing of this miraculous ministry to the apostles alone? The answer is no, he didn't. So second question then, did this miraculous ministry persist throughout the early church in the New Testament? Uh, and the evidence would show that it does. First of all, when, if you go with me to Acts chapter 4, you will see that the early church longed for and prayed for this miraculous ministry to continue. Acts chapter 4, verses 29 to 30. This is after they had been arrested, the apostles had been arrested, thrown in prison, uh, and, and brought before the council for preaching and healing. They, they healed a man, and they preached in Jesus' name, and so they were, they were arrested, brought before the council, and then they were released. They were told not to talk about the name of Jesus anymore. And then we, we see this. They went home and they prayed. They had a prayer meeting. And now, Lord, Acts 4, 29, look upon the threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. There's the preaching message, the ministry, I mean the message portion of the continuation. While you stretch out your hand to heal and when signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant. Now, the apostles were there in this prayer meeting, but there were others there too. And this points to all of them are asking and seeking that God would continue to manifest this miraculous ministry beyond just themselves. They're expecting the continuation of this miraculous ministry. So secondly, Paul taught that the miraculous ministry persisted in the church. We see this primarily in 1 Corinthians 12, when he's listing spiritual gifts for the body of Christ. Paul says he's talking about the body of Christ. He's not exclusively talking about the church alone in Corinth. He's talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit throughout all of the world. And he lists gifts of healing and the working of miracles as among the spiritual gifts that the Spirit of God gives. So it's up to the Spirit of God to give those gifts or not. But Paul's point in, first, in 12 is he's talking about the whole church. He's not simply talking about the Corinthian church. So it appears that all churches would be experiencing people who have those gifts. Third point of information, Paul assumed such a miraculous ministry was manifested at churches where there were no apostles. So Galatians, to the, the church in Galatians, Galatians chapter 1, Paul is writing to the churches, plural, in Galatia, which is the region of what today is Turkey. And he is writing to churches throughout an entire large geographic area. And he says to them in chapter 3, verse 5, 
Let's get this. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles, there's the word, among you, does he do so by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now, his point is he expects the Spirit of God to be manifestly doing miracles among them, all of these churches. This is an encyclical. It's a letter written to multiple churches. So Paul expects the miraculous ministry of Jesus to continue in, a, in an entire geographic region. Fourth piece of evidence here is the long ending of Mark. If you look at the end of Mark, you'll see in most of your translations, there is a bracketed section which tells us what is reported to be the words of Jesus. Let me just read Mark 16. I'll read verses 15, 17, 18, and 20, just to summarize and, and condense what we're talking about. It's similar to this commission. So he, Jesus says, or is reported to say, go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. And verse 17, these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. And 18, they'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And 20, and they went out and they preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message of accompanying signs. Now you'll notice this portion of scripture is bracketed which tells us that the earliest manuscripts, all of them did not contain this, this longer portion of the ending. And so it's bracketed. Some manuscripts have this passage, some don't. Some manuscripts that do have it point to older manuscripts that don't. And so that's why most translators will say, we're not quite sure Jesus actually said this. But what is worthy of our consideration is there was an oral tradition, that's how these things get written down, which said that Jesus told this church that to expect that miraculous things would continue to happen as the message was preached, the miracles would confirm the message. So we see this twofold ministry that's happening hand in hand together. The preaching is going out while miracles are confirming. Now, if you, if you reject that and say, we can't look to that with certainty, I, I understand. But it's a pointer that at least some in the early church, and this is very early, this passage is quoted A.D. 170. So by the end of the, the second century, here we have this tradition of understanding miracles are confirming the message. And then, but the fifth piece of evidence, as we think about, did miraculous ministry persist through the New Testament, is James. James himself, in the, uh, the gospel to the dispersion, he's writing in verse 1 to, to Christian, the dispersion was the 12 tribes of Israel scattered throughout the entire Mediterranean Sea region. The Jews who were all around the Mediterranean Sea are those to whom James is writing. So he's not just writing to one church, he is writing to many churches in a vast geographic area. And here's what he says in verses 14 and 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. So James expects healing to continue to happen through the ministry of prayer of the elders of churches. He knows there's elders in every church and he is saying, when you're sick... Call for the elders to come, and they'll come and pray for you, and, and you'll be healed. And church, if you want the elders of this church to come and pray for you, we'll do it. We, we are available for prayer every week, but if you're sick, like Edwin, who's at home with recovering from COVID, 
uh, didn't, he was supposed to lead this morning, but he didn't. Wes jumped in, having gotten in off the airplane at 3 a.m. this morning and came and sang. Um, because, who, you know, if you want us to come and pray, we'll come and pray. We believe this verse. I don't think this is only for the first century Christians. We believe, based upon this passage and the other pieces of evidence that I've given you, that's what we should do. Now, if the Lord chooses not to heal, well, that's up to him. But is there a sense of which this miraculous ministry persisted throughout the course of the New Testament, throughout the early church? The overwhelming answer is yes. It did. They expected miraculous things to happen. They prayed for miraculous things to happen. They called for others to do the same. And here's James saying this at the very end. So question, should we as a church expect to see the same miracles manifested in the church of God, wherever the kingdom is present, if it's right that these are qualities of the kingdom of heaven, not just characteristics of particular messengers, then should we expect to occasionally see miracles? And I, I'm convinced the answer has to be yes. I can't get away from the evidence of what we see here. Behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does the kingdom of heaven look like? According to what Jesus said into his disciples. And he said, go heal. Pray for people to be healed. Cast out demons. Cleanse people. Raise the dead. Mm, that's another hard one, right? That's a hard one. I have read, if you have read a book called Brother Yoon, Brother Yoon, a, a dear missionary convert to Christ in China, reports he has seen people raised from the dead. There are other reports from missionaries around the world who would attest to the same. I've never witnessed anybody rising from the dead. But based upon the power of God, I believe it's possible. And here we have the question, should we expect God to do miraculous wonders among us? I think the answer is yes. And, and some balance, okay? Before we go out and get a little crazy, why don't we see more miracles today? That's the question. Why don't we see more miracles? A couple of thoughts to conclude with. First, miracles are by definition rare. They are less common works of God. So we cannot expect to see miracles every day or else they're not miracles. But I think I feel the voice of the Lord saying, don't expect miracles to always happen, but do expect them to rarely happen. I feel an admonishment from the Lord saying, don't expect them never to happen. And that's my default position. That's the culture that I grew up in. And yet, I would say to you, I have seen, I've seen miracles. I've seen my own wife get healed. Happy to tell you that story over lunch someday. It's a long story. I've seen my wife be healed. I've seen other things too. But miracles are rare. Secondly, miracles might be few because there is weak faith. Miracles are few because of weak faith. Matthew 17, the disciples encountered a person who had a demon. A man brought his son 
And they could not cast the demon out. And they said to Jesus in verses 19 and 20, why could we not cast out the demon? And Jesus' answer is staggering. He says, because of your little faith. Not because they had no faith. It's because they had little faith. So where faith is little, it seems like miraculous things that happen would be few. Miracles would be few. Third, Miracles are few because sometimes God does not will to do them. We, for example, Paul. Does anybody doubt that Paul believed God could do miracles? Do you think Paul, did, could, he, could, could he understand God to do miracles? Absolutely, the answer is yes. But did God always heal through Paul? No, he didn't. And there's two examples in Scripture Epaphroditus, Paul's trusted companion in Philippians, Paul said was near death, and he was afraid he was going to die. So he couldn't heal him. Paul could not heal his buddy, Epaphroditus, whom he loved and who was a co-worker in the gospel. He was sick, near to death. And the second example is Trophimus, who on a mission trip got sick with some illness, and Paul had to leave him behind and keep going on the mission trip. So Paul couldn't heal Trophimus either. So two examples, God does not always heal. He sometimes does, but he doesn't always will to do, to do a miracle. Fourth, miracles are few probably because motives are wrong. We encounter some examples. King Herod, you remember when, he, when Jesus was arrested and was being brought to him, he got excited. Do you remember what he said? I've always wanted to see him do some cool trick. I want to see him work a sign, is what he said. And did Herod see a sign? No. No signs are given to unbelievers who want to manipulate and be entertained. That's not going to happen. So if miracles are wrong motives, they're not going to happen. And then the Pharisees did the same thing. They came to Jesus looking to entrap him, you remember, and said, Jesus, um, can you perform a sign? And Jesus said, no. Wicked and adulterous people seek after signs. He's talking to unbelievers, not wicked and adulterous Christians who seek signs. That's a different story. Jesus does not condemn believers who are looking for confirmation of their faith. He does say a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign if you just want to be entertained or have wrong motives. And lastly, miracles uh, are gifts of the Spirit. And it is up to the Holy Spirit to give gifts or not. And in 1 Corinthians 12, we have gifts of healing and gifts of working of miracles to some people, but not all. So we don't all have the gift of working miracles or performing healings. And so, therefore, miracles are going to be rare. So, conclusion. What should we do? I think the first thing is to pray. And I want to ask you, could you move 10 or 15% from not expecting to ever see any miracles to, okay, maybe I'm open. That's what I'm asking. Because I I think we should pray, Lord, if you want to manifest the authority of your kingdom among us, let us be open to doing it. So pray. Secondly, would you expect that sometimes God might do a miracle? And, And third, would you not get condemning or judgmental of God's power or ability when the answer is no. 
Because Jesus tells his people, pray continually. So let us forth prepare. I, I think it's fourth. I have no idea what number I'm on. <laughs> prepare. What did Jesus say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I think there's some repenting that needs to happen in all of us. If we want to see the kingdom of heaven come with power among us. And folks, we're seeing it. I was deeply blessed Thursday night by hearing ways in which God's kingdom has been coming among us over the past few months and year. And I believe his kingdom can come even more deeply if we expect it. So repent. Those of you who are Christians, keep fighting sin. Don't get comfortable with sin. Those of you who don't know Jesus, repent of your sins and turn to him as the Savior who will cleanse your heart and open the eyes of your heart as we just sang and change your life. And lastly, participate. You want to get involved in the kingdom of God coming in this earth and at work and in your neighborhood and in your extended family. You want to get involved in that. Believe that God will change hearts. Pray for it. And then ask the Lord, will you open wide a door of opportunity for me this week to share the gospel or to to bring the kingdom in? Whatever that might be. If it's an act of compassion, Right? Jesus was moved with compassion. And miracles happen sometimes because Jesus saw how harassed and helpless people were and he just brought deliverance. Maybe it's a coat in winter. Maybe that's an act of compassion. Whatever it is, could you look for an open door of opportunity to bring the kingdom in? It's at work, wherever it might be. Let the kingdom come. And then lastly, would you just praise the Lord? Would you praise him for what he has done and expectantly and in faith look forward to what he might do? And and so as we think about this, wrestle with these questions. Is, Is Todd right? Is this what the evidence points to? That miracles are characteristics of the kingdom, not merely the permanent and abiding, rare, but still there. Or are they qualities of the first century messengers that we don't need to expect. If, if they're characteristics of the kingdom, we should expect them to some degree, occasionally, rarely, but not never. And, and if not, it, what do I do with this? How do we then sit with this passage? So that's what I leave you with, and I, I invite you, would you pray with me? Father, I, I pray that your spirit would be at work in our hearts. Would you move us to be more deeply aligned with your kingdom? Lord, I ask you, all of us in this room, let a love of righteousness pervade our hearts and let us detest sin to the bottoms of our beings. Let us hate evil and love holiness. Lord, let your spirit fall upon your people in this room. Let the kingdom come among your people as we go home and go to work. May we be mindful that you're present with us wherever we go because your children carry the spirit of Christ who raised him from the dead. 
And so, Lord, if your spirit is at work within us, would you, according to the goodness of your heart and the compassion of your soul and the the glory of your might, would you move through us and work among us? And Father, if there's somebody in this room who does not have your spirit dwelling within them, let, let today be a day where we fall on our face and repent of our sin and ask you to save us and give us the gift of your Holy Spirit. So Lord, let your kingdom come among us as we sing, as we pray, and as we praise. In Jesus' name, amen.